I told you it was going to be a big win, but I didn't see 38-6 coming. You know, like all the rookies, they all splashed in some very cool way. And I think, you know, we all look for optimism on opening day, and, and Patrick Queen had that great script, which reminded me of, you know, old ones from Ed Reed as a second of the ball guy. This is, uh, you know, I, I practice against Haloti Nada, you know, I don't have, a, <laughs> I, I can handle this. And so the cow, you know, goes one way, just like Lamar. And <laughs> next thing you know, Jason is on the ground. Welcome into the lounge. I told you it was going to be a big win, but I didn't see 38-6 coming. I'll admit it. I didn't, I didn't think it was going to be that big. I know you didn't. You say during the pregame show, which just is a little plug. You should always watch our Ravens pregame live before every home game, mm-hmm. starting at noon mm-hmm. or an hour before the game, whenever that is. Anyway, but didn't you say low scoring? Your thought was low scoring. Uh, yeah, my predictions are pretty bad. Um, <laughs> I think I, I think I said Ravens twenty seventeen on a late Justin Tucker field goal. Yeah, and then and. We also got into a conversation on pregame live about uh, who was going to play at inside linebacker, and I said, ah, you know, Malik Harrison, he, you know, he might get a, his start midseason. You know, he might start games week one starter right there in the middle, right when first snap. Yeah, yeah. Well, the rookie thing, and uh, the rookie, I think everyone was off on the expectation for rookies this year. Like, how many times yep. do we say, man, it's going to be tough for rookies to make a contribution this year? Well, we weren't the only ones. No, I know. It's not just us. Calais Campbell said that. Yep. Everybody we had on the pod said that. RG3 said that. Everybody. And then all of a sudden, what, five five rookies right off the jump that play really significant roles? J.K. Dobbins, pair of touchdowns. Patrick Queen, sack and a forced fumble. Malik Harrison, starter. Tyree Phillips, starter. James Prochet, starting punt returner. Devin Duvernay catches a pass. And Project Washington gets in the rotation on the defensive line. So... Well, and DuVernay was the kick returner. Yeah, DuVernay's the kick returner. So, hello, rookies, right from the yep. jump. And uh, they weren't the only ones who looked good. I mean, pretty much everybody uh, passed the test in week one with a 38-6 to victory. I mean, really dominated that game. All of a sudden, like, it was so weird. A lot of people have asked, like, was it weird being at the game? Um, and it was. It was weird not having fans there. It was extremely weird. Yeah, and it, the game started, and it kind of felt like, like, it's, you know when there's a training camp practice there and a practice starts and you're kind of half paying attention and you're like, is this? That's kind of how it felt. It's like all of a sudden it's ten nothing and I'm like, is this? Does this count? Is this the real deal? Like, is are these <laughs> actual points? And yeah. uh, it took a little while to get used to it, but I, I think on the field, like everything on the field, uh, was looked better than I than I expected for week one. Um, yeah. But uh, the surroundings, obviously, it, it was odd. Yeah, I mean, it felt like. You're watching a JV football game, yeah. You know, in terms of the atmosphere, just this empty thing. You could, you know, I was I was sitting up in the like club level, yep. Right, so I'm I'm one step down from the upper deck, and I can hear like coaches on the sideline, seventy five yards away, like shouting to individual players and clapping after big good plays, and like you can hear everything. It's really strange. I will say this. Okay, there's some pluses and minuses this whole situation. Minus, no first quarter nachos. Well, you know, that's that's my favorite part of game day. Right. That's the reason why you go to game day, <laughs> no first quarter nachos. So that was a, that was a hit. However, that that's also a reason that my, my dry cleaning bill is so high because I just get nacho cheese all over my nice clothes. So that's the downside <laughs> of the first quarter nachos. Uh, 
plus side is I'm sitting there and I'm not in the press box with the rest of the media anymore. You know, they keep us separated. Now I'm just sitting out there on a balcony outside a club or outside a suite and I can cheer and do whatever I want. I can say whatever I want out there. You should have seen me. It was amazing. Like, you know, I'm like, oh, you got to make that play. Or like, you know, they score a touchdown. I'm just like, yeah, oh, yeah. You know, there's no holding back anymore. It's amazing. Well, yeah, fans, for the next game at home, listen closely. You'll probably hear Mink yelling from the I sweet seriously, level. I seriously was just watching back a play on NFL Game Rewind or whatever, Game Pass. Yeah. And I thought I could hear myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it is. It is. Um, it, it is pretty wild to see. I mean, the games are obviously watched by a lot of people, um, but every week, you know, there's there's seventy thousand people in that stadium, and to to see it empty and to to see the game be played in front of I don't know how many people were actually in the stadium, a couple hundred, um, in right. terms of you know employees and everybody. It it is it is a wild phenomenon. I hope we get fans at some point. We'll see. Um, but, yeah, I mean, from a football standpoint, looks good. And so to break it all down, let's go ahead and welcome in our guest, Ken McCusick. Before we do that, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with Ken. Ravens fans, if you've been reading the scouting reports, you know that Ram Trucks are Motor Trend's back-to-back truck of the year. Ram 1500 is a top pick with an available Hemi V8 engine, e-torque hybrid technology, and a 12-inch touchscreen. Plus, it offers a truckload of available features. It's the same with the hardworking Ram 3500 Heavy Duty. For generous cash allowances and great lease offers, go to Ram.com and take advantage of all the great deals happening right now on a wide selection of Ram trucks. Well, we are thrilled to be joined by Ken McCusick from FilmStudyBaltimore.com. Make sure you check out his work. Ken is like the best in the market in breaking down the film after Ravens games, and I'll tell you, Ken sent some detailed, the details to steal a line from Mark Ingram, <laughs> detailed notes on week one. And we want to talk to you, Ken, because, you know, I feel like you learn a lot in week one. Like, you learn more in week one than you do probably from any other game during the season. Am I am I right, or am I just talking out of my butt here, Ken? No, you're absolutely right. In terms of okay. what you learn from the coordinators, the new stuff in week one, that's always fun to unveil. It's like yeah. a birthday present. Yeah, exactly, exactly, especially for a guy like you. So uh, I guess big picture, um, you know, from your notes, I thought one of the more interesting things was you were kind of like surprised that the the Ravens were able to win by as big a margin, 38-6, to six, as they did. Why is that? Well, they really lost the battle on either side of the line of scrimmage, defensively and offensively. Um, the pass rush, I think, was apparent to everyone. The Browns had success, but particularly early on, running the football on the base defense, which is really bad. Um, it, so they lost both sides there on, in terms of defending. But in terms of the offense, uh, Lamar Jackson bailed him out, but uh, he was constantly under pressure. He had ample time and space, which is a metric of my own. Uh, basically means a three-second pocket and the ability to step into a throw. He only had that four out of 27 times, and an mm-hmm. average might be around 40% in the league. Quarterbacks should pick the opponent apart when they get ample time and space. When they don't get it, it's trouble. And Lamar, despite 4 out of 27, had the 152 rating. So that was really the story of the game for me. Wow, that's interesting. So so when you were looking at the run defense early on, it was really two runs. You know, it was the Chubb, what, Chubb 22-yarder and Kareem Hunt 29-yarder, I think. 
I might have that backwards. What did you see on those plays? What what was the trouble and run defending early on? Okay, so the 29-yard run, and just from, from my visual memory, Campbell was late getting on the field and didn't even get all the way into his three-point stance. But yeah. the, um, the play there was one where they were effectively using Campbell to set the edge, which made it a little worse. Um, Harrison came in off that edge as well and got deep into the play. So the, between the two of them, that obviously created a large gap that, uh, yeah, I think it was, I think that was Chubb ran through it. I might be wrong. Might be yeah, that was Chubb. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and then on the second one, it looked like, I mean, sometimes, obviously, a lot of times you have to tip your hat. And it looked like on the second long one that the Browns just blocked it up really well. I mean, they have a good offensive line. They invested in it heavily this offseason. Got Jack Conklin at right tackle, drafted a high first-round pick, and Jedrick Wills at left tackle. So it looked to me like they just blocked that up. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. I mean, and, and you got to give credit to the Browns. They're huge on the offensive line. They're very powerful, you know, very much with their two tight end sets are like the Ravens running at you. They're kind of facing themselves. And if you think back to the 49ers game, that was the most similar last year in terms of a team that really mirrored what the Ravens could do. And they had some success running early also. Uh, so, so Ken, let's flip it over to the offensive side of the ball and, and the offensive line there. The offensive line was something that was a bit of a mystery going into week one, and, and I think there were certainly some people who were surprised when Tyree Phillips stepped out there and earned that starting job, rookie transitioning from a tackle in college into a right guard. And then Skura, too, given his injury and, and the long road back from that injury. So what were your impressions of the offensive line overall? And then we can talk through some specifics uh, after that. Right. They, I mean, they had some problems. A lot of that with, with the amount of pressure Jackson was under, you know that the offensive line grades are not going to be too good. The good news is they weren't penalized. The bad news is they gave up a lot of pressures during the game. They missed some blocks in the run game. They didn't have the same success with double teams. Some of that was a function of not really running the 2019 scheme as often. So remember in 2019, a lot of read plays a lot of running out of a pistol to get replays. They ran much less out of the pistol in this game. And Jackson only ran the ball a couple times, but even the times he handed off out of that pistol option were not great in number. So Interesting. Uh, it was a different offense than it was last year. And then when you, if you're talking about the specific offensive lineman, who would you like to talk about first? Well, I want to come back to your, your, your point there about it being a different offense, because I think that's interesting. And, and, uh, We'll ask you to look into your crystal ball a little bit on that one, but um, let's talk Tyree Phillips. Like to me, to me, Ryan, I have talked about this with him before. He reminds me of Colecio Semley to some degree in size. Converted tackle in college, uh, played really well as a rookie uh, in that Super Bowl run at guard. Do you see any of that in Tyree? And just what were your impressions of him? What you like? Where can he improve after his first start? Okay, well, there's, I think there's a ton to build on here, and, and Harbaugh was you know, good about setting the level. I, I graded him out as a C for this game. Uh, he gave up two and a half pressures, half a penetration, which is a loss on a run play, and a third of a quarterback hit, and I, I apportioned him out in that way. Grades out actually at the bottom of the C range, but I thought what was really positive is there are a lot of mobility questions about him coming into this year, moving from tackle to guard, as you said. He had three blocks on level two out of four, and seven out of seven on his pulls. So that tells me right there that he's probably going to be fine, uh, at least to start off with, on the mobility issues. And uh, I was very positive about that. Uh, Big, strong guy. I think he will get more opportunity as he moves forward to use his length. He's got arms that are over 35 inches. Those are ideal for going to the armpits of that defensive tackle and controlling the pivot on 
right-handed run plays where the Ravens are you know, pulling a guard from right to left, and he has to open the pivot on those things. So I'm very optimistic about what Tyree brings. And let's talk about another rookie. Obviously, Patrick Queen got a lot of headlines you know, after you get a sack and a forced fumble in your first game and lead the team in tackles. What did you see when you kind of dove into the tape on, on Patrick? You know, like all the rookies, they all f- splashed in some very cool way. And I think, you know, we all look for optimism on opening day, and, and Patrick Queen had that great script, which reminded me of, you know, old ones from Ed Reed as a second-of-the-ball guy. And mm-hmm. he had that sack. where We could talk about that a little more if you want to, but it was a beautiful run off the butt of Wolf, and Wolf had a great contributing um, component to that. But, you know, other than that, he had some problems with the run. Uh, he got caught up in the wash. The Browns were very effective at getting a guard to level two to get a hat on him. If you look at his tackles, none were inside of three yards of the line of scrimmage. Um, they talk about making mistakes at 100 miles an hour for Queen. Maybe it's a case where he needs to be more of a gap gambler and, and just take chances and get in the backfield. Um, that, that works for some people and really works for Mosley as a rookie. Ken's getting the call right now saying, quit giving away our film secrets. <laughs> That's the bat That's line right Martindale there. on the line. <laughs> hey, hey, so Ken, you said, uh, just go back to the offense. Ryan and I keep go- bouncing back and forth between the two sides of the ball here, but you made the point that you felt like it looked like a different offense, which is fascinating. Uh, do you feel like that's here to stay? Do you feel like that was a game plan thing? I know that you're not obviously sitting in there with Greg Roman as he's dialing up uh, or as he's building out offensive game plans each, each week. But based on what the personnel is on this team, uh, what is your expectation in that regard? Yeah, I, I think they'll be going back to much more of last year's offense in the coming games. I think this was an opportunity to take advantage of where the Browns were weakest, which is in the secondary. You know, they're very banged up with the loss of Grant Delpit and others. And, you know, Sendejo was back there uh, playing his spot. It's really a, uh, a case of I think they wanted to go with the pass. They knew that was the way to beat the Browns, and it was working, so they didn't, didn't really chance. They, it didn't really change. They ended up with a fair number of run plays, but that's not really an accurate reflection of how they were running their offense. And when they did a lot of their running with D.J. Fluker in there in the second half, much more limited offense in terms of, of what they had available to them. Now, the question is whether, you know, they're going to be able to run the ball effectively against some of these better teams that they're going to face even in the next two weeks. You know, the Texans, J.J. Watt coming to town, or they're going out there. But then Kansas City, obviously. So do you think that the Ravens, given, you know, you had some lower grades along the interior offensive line, are you concerned about their ability to run and beat those teams or what? I'm, I'm going to be tremendously concerned if Ronnie Stanley can't play for starters. So I know he didn't practice today. And and that's the first concern in terms of uh, them being able to to beat high power defensive lines. I mean, I think the Ravens are special in that way in their ability to have Lamar Jackson freeze that edge defender. So we saw in San Francisco, they were still effective last year doing that uh, and neutralizing a very good four man line. I think they can I think they can you know, attack these groups and the Texans have problems in the secondary as well. So we may see another passing day from Lamar, uh, which would be just fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. I think we had a feeling going into the season that at some point this year, J.K. Dobbins could emerge as the best guy in the backfield. I didn't expect that to be week one. Like it, it His two-touchdown performance, it did surprise me um, because I just felt like he might have more of a limited role early, early in the season and you ease him in, and then in the second half of the year, he's got kind of fresh legs and you, and you unleash him then. He's unleashed. Secret's out. Uh, so how do you see the uh, – First of all, what do you think of his performance, and then what do you think of the running back rotation moving forward from here? 
Yeah, happy with the performance, obviously. I mean, there's a lot to like about it, and it wasn't the ideal set of circumstances for him in terms of, of, of having great double teams set up and obviously running out of the pistol. But it was a, uh, a, a good, solid performance, good field vision. I like that about it. Um, in terms of how I would see it progressing, I'm looking over your shoulder here, and you got the Super Bowl 35 thing. That's reminding me how Jamal Lewis was kind of woven into the fabric as that season went on. But he didn't start week one as a starter. Priest almost did. And then he played more and more and more as the season went on. Dobbins, I think, is the obvious heir apparent was the number one back on this team. And the other thing is that the team really needs to consider whether or not they can afford to keep Mark Ingram next year. So it behooves them to figure that out as quickly as possible as the team goes on. I hate to be cold-hearted about this. Obviously, Ingram is a great leader, a great guy to have around the clubhouse. But they need to shift dollars to some of the offensive playmakers as well as Humphrey, and they're going to need to figure out how to do that. Two other new guys, Calais Campbell and Derek Wolf on the defensive line. What would you see from them? Well, Calais Campbell, we'll start with, was the most dominant player on the field. And there he had three passes defensed in the game. I I can't even tell you how rare that is for a linebacker, except that in 1998, through game 12 of 2013, which is just a sheet I had already made up for a previous story, is that's a period of more than 15 years. And the Ravens only had Adelis Thomas do it once in 2001 and Haloti Nada do it in his 2008 game against the Texans. I remember a very acrobatic interception from that game. But those are the only two linemen who did it during that entire period. So it's incredibly rare for a lineman to do it. And uh, just... You know, to see him do it on consecutive plays, the second being an interception, very cool. Drew a holding penalty later in that game that was kind of cool, not to Ferguson because he had a sack washed out. But, you know, it was a, it was a, it was a great game for players. And then Derek Wolf. Well, Derek Wolf had a, had a big hand in the sack. He played the most snaps, first of all, but he had a big hand in the sack, sack by Queen where he kind of drew the attention of the left guard, Betonio. So Betonio, he didn't have to put his shoulder into him. Wolf is really known as an under guy on stunts, meaning he's the guy who crashes between the two players, gets two 45-degree angle blocks, creates an, an opportunity for both himself and the guy following his rear end to, to do that. Well, Queen followed his rear end, but he didn't even really have his shoulder in Betonio. He just had kind of had his attention with a hand on him. And Betonio never came back in time for Queen, and Treader was way too slow getting across, and Queen, uh, with his quickness, got in quickly for the sack. So uh, that was great to see. You saw at the end of that play, if you look at the video, Wolf has his fist in the air like that. He understood exactly what his contribution was on the play. Well, that, I mean, that was kind of his M.O. I think that when he first signed, he, he talked about how, and Von Miller talked about how he created a ton of opportunities for him. And uh, I think Wolf's role and what he's known for in Denver, obviously, was doing all the dirty work and creating opportunities for other guys, and clearly that's – you know, that's how he's starting. One more guy that I've got uh, that I want to get your perspective on is, is Deshaun Elliott. You know, first start, a lot of expectations stepping in for, for Earl Thomas in the back end of the defense. How did how the Joker look? I, you know, because we didn't see him, I'm going to say he looked fantastic. Um, he also looked like <laughs> a hell of a hitter in this game. He did. Uh, but, but let's go back to the coverage for a second because – you know, Baker Mayfield, unlike Lamar, had 44% ample time and space, and the the Browns only threw for 4.1 yards per pass. That tells me the secondary is doing their job. If you look at the maps on next gen, you'll see the deep middle in particular is where they did not test. And before this game, I really thought that's where the Browns would go because they've got tight ends, they like play action, and beyond that, Elliott's untested. And you know, they, they're they're 
that's going to be a place where you're going to try and get after the Ravens. Not didn't happen. And that, you know, I, I think you know, the fact that you didn't see him, I go back to the Earl Thomas quote, maybe appropriately from last year that he says, I'm free safety. If you don't see me, that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> interesting. Interesting. Then you, you had in your notes here that uh, there's a good story behind the fake punt and the Ravens blowing that up. Yeah, very, very cool. It was a, it was a, first of all, it was a terrible decision, but, but the fact <laughs> that Levine and Ford identified it pre-snap is very visible, had a great camera angle. Hey, I, I don't want to harp on this too long, but the camera angles bother me because they're not good for analysis to have that backwards, you know, behind the huddle camera because I can't chart the receivers and I can't really <laughs> chart, you know, the, the formation. But, but anyway, for this play, it was fantastic. So they're looking from behind Gillen's back and normally punters come into the game they tap, tap left, right to make sure their, their plant foot is in a good spot. They take two steps forward. They simulate the punting motion and they move back. In 50 years of watching football, that's the way it's pretty much always done. I did not see Gillian do that on this particular snap. All of a sudden, he's back there. He's rocking kind of back and forth. Levine went ballistic. I mean, he, he basically was like, oh, you move here, you move here. He basically was, was resetting the gap control so that if the snap was to the up back, it wouldn't have been a thing, but he sniffed out the fake. And then as the snap was made, and really even before, snap was way wide, but before the snap, you'll see Fort and Levine moving off to the punter's right, anticipating that the run was going there. So they had it sniffed out from the start. Levine just amazes me continually in terms of being like a 20-year a veteran sergeant, being on the battlefield and surveying the problems, you know, keeping his contracts <laughs> alive. These other rookies who are playing on special teams. It's just, he's, he's a fascinating player to watch. That's interesting. That's very cool. Yeah. Cool. Well, Ken, appreciate it. You know, not sometimes we all are feeling great after 38-6, and we got to bring you in here to, you know, make sure we're not gulping too much purple Kool-Aid. <laughs> <laughs> bring us down to earth a little bit. So we appreciate He's, it. Ken's, like, Ken's got, like, the coach mentality. You know, always looking for ways to improve. There you go. I like it. All right. Thanks for having me, guys. Awesome. Yeah, thank, yeah, thank, you. thank you. All right. Well, really good stuff from Ken. Uh, as a reminder, you can find his stuff at filmstudybaltimore.com. Ken breaks it all down for you. And now another guy, another savvy veteran, I'll say. My guy, Johnny I- John Eisenberg, a.k.a. Johnny Eyes. <laughs> uh, and he's here to talk about the season two launch of his podcast, What Happened to That Guy? So, John, give us, give us the tease. Well, uh, season one last year at eight, eight episodes, I spent a lot of time figuring out which former Ravens to uh, dig into their lives after football and what are they doing? Are they happy? Are they sad? How do they look back on it? <laughs> so uh, that was a lot of fun. So why not? Let's do it again. Season two. So here we go. I started with uh, Jason Brown uh, this week and I'm knee deep and finding uh, other subjects and guys to uh, no spoiler alerts necessarily, unless you really beg me, (laughs) but uh, you know, there'll there'll be a full season of guys again this year. And for, and for listeners out there who are listening to this, you're probably subscribed to the lounge already, which I hope you are. Uh, And so John's podcast, what happened to that guy is in the same feed. So you don't even, you literally don't even have to look anywhere else. It's all in the Baltimore Ravens podcast network feed. So if you're listening to the lounge right now, it's probably right under this. It came out on Tuesday. So once you're done listening to this, you can go check that out. Um, So in terms of Jason Brown, uh, John, he's got one of the most fascinating stories I think of any former player. Give us a little taste of uh, what he's up to now and the transition that he made at the end of his career. 
Well, it's just an amazing story. When <clears throat> it, it really is my bad. As I said on the podcast, my bad that I didn't do him in season one because <laughs> it is, uh, it is it, I'll put it this way. I think he's the only former Raven who's been on like the network news and, uh, you know, CBS. The Good all, Morning America. Yeah, I mean, they're all over it because it's such an amazing story. He, he played for the Ravens and then he went to the Rams uh, and signed a huge contract with the Rams. He was playing for them. Uh, had to be the highest paid center in football at the time. And then he finally got cut. And he was going to – he could still play. He was 29. The Ravens wanted him back. Uh, the Carolina Panthers wanted him back. The 49ers wanted him back. But he's an extremely religious, devout guy. And he had made the decision that he's going to walk away from football to become a farmer. So – and he had no background in this. It's just like, I'm going to be a farmer. <laughs> and, and so he he bought a, a thousand acres and he's been doing it ever since so seven years ago and he what's the real kicker is he gives away all the food he gives it away to food pantries he gives it away to churches just and it's over a million pounds of food at this point so wow just i mean just an incredible story and it's not like there's this big operation down there where he's you know pointing he's the guy he's doing the farming so uh uh, just uh, a fantastic story, and he tells it really well. Yeah, it was a really, really good episode. I highly encourage everybody to listen to it. I think my favorite line was when he was telling the story about how some cow was kind of getting away from him, or he had to get the cow in somewhere, and he was like, you know what? I I'm a former offensive lineman. I should be able to stop a dang cow. <laughs> uh, tell, Finish the story here, John. Yeah, he was trying to get him back in a pen, or and they were getting out of the pen, and he wanted to corral it and put it back in the pen this cow and so he says oh i've been you know i, I practice against haloti nada you know i don't have a, <laughs> I, I can handle this and so he tells the story really well how the, the the cow you know goes one way just like lamar you know fakes one <laughs> way goes the other way and <laughs> next thing you know jason is on the ground and the cow is past him and he so I said to him, somebody needs to sign that cow. <laughs> and he goes, the cow's good, man. The cow, the cow's athletic. So that's certainly <laughs> the only time anyone has said that to me in an interview, that cows are athletic. <laughs> well, give us a taste of a couple other guests. All right. So they, everybody should go back and listen to Jason Brown. But who do you got coming down the pipe? Uh, well, uh, I've got uh, one that I know that fans are going to want to to hear is Kelly Gregg, uh, mm. old Buddy Lee. Buddy Lee is in, he's, he, he, he will be coming back and had a hilarious interview with him. When I spoke to him, he was, it was raining. He's, he's back living in Oklahoma and he's on the radio, if you can believe it. He's a radio guy in Oklahoma. <laughs> and so, and he's got this farm that he goes and hangs out at, out in the middle of nowhere. It's just hilarious. I mean, Kelly Gregg is a very funny guy. And so uh, when I spoke to him, he was just riding out a big thunderstorm in Oklahoma and just making all these comments. So he's, he's really good. Uh, I did, uh, uh, let's see, Matt, Matt Stover is another one I did that everybody knows him, but I just thought, what an interesting guy to talk to. <clears throat> and he had a lot to say about money. We got into this financial conversation about players and he told me some stuff I couldn't believe about former players and how many of them sort of don't have their finances figured out. And so uh, it was really interesting. So that, that's a little taste and there, there, there's more coming. There'll be eight all told. Right. And, cool. and also for fans uh, that are listening, if you didn't listen to season one, 
it's not like it's outdated. So fans can go back and listen. You had some great guests uh, in season one. You talked to Kyle Bowler. You talked to Matt Burke. You talked to Chris Carr. Um, it was just, it was excellent. It's great work, John, and it's all evergreen stuff. So if fans haven't listened, I would encourage you to go back and you might have some guys that either, if you're a younger listener uh, that's new to the game, this will be your education course in some of the former Ravens. And if you're, uh, you know, an old timer that, that watch some of these guys, then this is a chance to see what they're doing now. So um, I, either way, it's uh, really cool stuff to listen to. So I, I'm excited for all that you got coming in, in season two here, John. Well, thank you. And, and, and one more uh, tease. I have this year on what happened to that guy, a guy who's not even 30. Not even 30 yet. <laughs> so uh, that one will be, you'll just have to tune in and find Ooh. out who it is. Not even 30. I like it. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you, John. Appreciate it, everybody. Make sure you're subscribed if you're not already to the Ravens Podcast Network and tune in all season long. They're coming out bi-weekly, every other week. So you'll, you'll, there was one on Tuesday couple weeks after that we'll have next right right well, well thank, thank you, you john thanks very much this season when you trade up to ram trucks you're getting power luxury and technology like you never imagined you don't become the back-to-back motor trend truck of the year for nothing and with the ram 1500 you can get a lot of everything rear legroom, a reconfigurable center console it's all available now plus you get a lot more storage or you could also trade up to the ram 3500 and get 410 standard horsepower in a gas engine for these great deals, and to find out more, go to ram.com today. All right, well, before we go, I uh, want to read an email out of the mailbox here. As always, you can reach us at thelounge at ravens.nfl.net. This one comes from a good pal of mine, not of yours, Garrett, because you turned <laughs> your back on our international fans, Martin Willemos. I still, I don't know. I'm not sure that I'm pronouncing that right. Sorry, Martin. <laughs> I'm sorry. Anyway, Martin says, Hi, better lounge host and Garrett, because that's my team name. Oh, you that know? is. That's my team name is better lounge host. Okay. All right. All right. That makes sense. That makes I think, sense. I think the better lounge host. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. <laughs> and he says, great. Uh, great with a big win. And he asks, which free agent addition could the Ravens make this year? It, could, it can be a position and or player. He says, I think the Ravens have about 10 to $11 million in salary cap space right now. So what move are they making? What do you think here, Garrett? We going to see another Marcus Peters-like trade? I would say if I had to pick one spot, ugh, I mean, I guess the offensive line somewhere along there. Nah. I don't know. I mean. Nope, 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 you're wrong. Pass rush? Pass rush. Yeah, I, I, th- yeah. I think if they're going to sign somebody, it's going to be around that week five, week four, week five, week six, somewhere in there, and it's going to be a pass rusher from some team that's not doing all that well or is in a tough salary cap spot, and the Ravens just say, you know what, we need a little more juice coming off the edge. I mean, all the reports say they're interested in Jadavion Clowney. Right. So I think the desire is there. The other spot I would point to in terms of desire is, obviously they worked out Des Bryant at wide right. receiver and there's been reports you know of them being sniffing around the wide receiver market so that could be the other spot. i don't see that one i don't see wide receiver. I, I don't i think that's less likely i'm put i would put my money on pass rusher yeah i think i would agree pass rush is probably at the top of that list you know offensive line i guess it just depends you know stanley's got the ankle not expected to be serious um 
do, do they get banged up at all there? Not a ton of depth if you were to have an injury there. Um, so I, I would agree with you on pass rush. So anyway, um, I appreciate whoa, whoa. the I appreciate the email from Martin. Um, whoa, 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 Martin also had there. It was more. There's more to the question. He said also. One and zero in fantasy, baby. <laughs> Were you one? Are you one and zero? Also, I'm one and zero. Of course, I'm one and zero. Here's the thing: everybody was ragging on me in the league, though, and they said they were gonna they were gonna narc on me to you. Um, that I drafted a bunch of AFC North players that were not Ravens. Classic. You probably drafted Ben. You you draft. Uh, no, I drew the line there. I <laughs> I I, t- I have a terrible quarterback situation. I have Matthew Stafford as my starter, and Ben was just sitting there on waivers, and I was like, I just. I'm not doing it. I'm not drafting him. <laughs> I'm not doing it. But I do have I have James Burrow. I have Jarvis Landry, who I benched last week. I have well, James first of all, Con- you, you you have you have Joe Burrow. You have Joe Burrow. Oh, did you I need, say James? You need, you need to learn the names of the other quarterbacks <laughs> in the division. <laughs> I have Joe. I have Joe Burrow, Jarvis Landry, James Conner, and Joe Mixon. Bengals guy. My, big Bengals guy. My my closest Ravens connection is I I did get Hayden Hurst. All right, there you go. Um, all right. Well, everyone, thank you so much for listening. You can send in your emails every week by using uh, the email, the lounge at ravens.nfl.net. Thanks for listening. Mink, go ahead and take it away. Get ready for a big win. I just woke my kid up for that. All right. See you next week. <laughs>